When we allow ourselves to be inauthentic, we are actually waging a war against ourselves. You know, we don't see how self-loathing we are. We don't see how self-critical we are, how self-shaming. We allow these acts of oppression to continue within our psyche and nobody is stopping it, right? And this is what this book is trying to do for us as a humanity. Hey, notice how you are mired in these self-shaming practices and how you are oppressing yourself, especially if you're a woman. Hey, everyone. Hi, everyone. Linda and Drew Scott here. Welcome to At Home, a show where we chat with artists, experts, dreamers, and doers on the impact that they're creating in the world. Through these conversations, we get to dive deeper into our relationships with ourselves, our communities, and our planet. In a sense, we're still designing our homes. From the inside out. Okay, now I'm a little exhausted. How are you? I'm... So exhausted and so my palms are You can't sweaty. see this, but Linda is sitting in the dark right now. Yeah. Um, it has been a busy week, but it's also been good because we've been getting some exercise in. I've hit the gym I twice. Haven't. Well, you've done a little hiking. Speak you've done yourself. some yoga. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yes, I have been doing yoga with Mel virtually. And it has been lovely and super, super zen. I went hiking with uh, the fam and the girls. Virtual tea time. I mean, that's kind of like a workout. It is a workout for my soul. Like a good Mm -hmm. workout. Yeah. (laughs) Something I was actually really excited about this past week. There was a White House social media briefing with Press Secretary Jen Psaki. And we were invited to ask questions. And so... I asked questions about housing. Jonathan asked questions about renewable energy and electrifying our homes. It was really exciting to hear what this administration was doing to make sure that they are putting families first and jobs first. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I thought it was really cool that they brought in so many different people who share these these messages to their respective audiences. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really important to include different voices in the conversation. Yeah, there were nine of us asking questions and it was it was great. I mean, there were, there's no bias here at all. This wasn't anything that was, you know, Democratic or Republican. It wasn't something that was biased in any way. Literally, we were able to bring whatever questions we had concerns about. And I think with the number of families that we've worked with, whether it was through our shows or with Habitat for Humanity, it was just really cool to be able to bring forward whatever we had to find answers. Mm-hmm. And I had some Canadian chocolate bars. Also exciting. Also, like you, you have to work out for a reason. Exactly. The only reason I work out is to eat Canadian junk food. The only reason why I work out is to eat. Period. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Well, we need to get talking about our guest this week. Dr. Shafali. you know, Oprah has called her work revolutionary and life-changing and her approach to mindful living and parenting, it's groundbreaking. And I think that's pretty exciting that she blends clinical psychology and Eastern mindfulness. Mm -hmm. She is an acclaimed author, international speaker, clinical psychologist, and wisdom teacher, and is an expert in family dynamics and personal development. I don't even know what a wisdom teacher is, but it sounds amazing. Today, we get to learn from Dr. Shafali on At Home. She just released her third New York Times bestselling book, A Radical Awakening. Her other two revolutionary books included... The Conscious Parent and the Awakened Family. I love the books. 
books like this make me want to read more. Yeah. Because I'm learning. Books like this with A Radical Awakening, when I started reading it, I was like, oh, bleep. Like, I don't want to face it, but I know I have to kind of thing, you know? Yeah. But you know what? If you're reading a book that's making you going, Ugh, because you know it's basically poking holes in some of your philosophies oh or some of the yeah. patterns that you follow and repeat that are not yeah. healthy for you. It's good. That's why it's not a book that you can read quickly because it does require work and you do need to shut it at times and just like do the homework and reflect. Um, but yeah, it's it's been very awakening. <laughs> it is. And it's helping us continue to reimagine our lives. And that's why I'm really happy to have Dr. Shafali with us today. And she's sort of our guide to rediscovering our authentic selves. Uh, by the way, heads up, there is a little bit of swearing in this episode. So just in case you're listening with kids, shall we get to it? Mm-hmm. Let's do it. This is Dr. Shafali. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're, they're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices, like my lights, my locks. (laughs) My security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. (laughs) Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Dr. Shafali, thank you so much for joining us. We are really excited to have you here. We are, we can't wait to get into it. I even matched, all of this. I'm so excited I matched your book with my shirt <laughs> and I didn't do that on purpose. I love it. Thank you for having me here. I'm so excited to uh, talk about all things wonderful with you. So in this month on At Home Podcast, we are talking all about renewal. So we thought this would be the perfect time to talk about your new book, A Radical Awakening. And also, you know, we we do want to get into a little bit later on um, your other books, uh, The Conscious Parent and The Awakened Family. And we want to see how this fits in to the whole fold with all your books. But right now for A Radical Awakening, can you tell us a little bit about this book? And then also we want to hear what led you on your journey to writing this book. Okay, perfect. So I call this book a radical awakening because I believe that most of us need to awaken. And we need to awaken into what, you may ask? We need to awaken into a more empowered, authentic vision of ourselves. And the way to do that is to understand that at some point in our lives, we stop being just um, the inheritors of our parents' legacies, but actually become the co-creator of that legacy in our own lives. You know, so there's a period of time in our lives where we passively just take on what culture tells us or our parents tell us. But at some point, and that's the point of radically awakening, where we shift from being passive inheritors of our old childhood legacies 
to deciding, oh my goodness, I am an active co-creator of my destiny. So how can I actively manifest the most empowered, authentic version of myself? Mm. And speaking of culture and traditions and childhood, can you share a bit about your childhood growing up in India? Sure. So as you asked, why did I write this book? It's been really inspired by my own journey into an evolved or awakened being. It began in India, uh, where the patriarchy, as many people may already know, is quite oppressive. It's quite toxic, especially when I was growing up in the 70s. And so I grew up very indoctrinated with a prescription on how to be the perfect girl, who would then grow up to be the perfect woman, who would be the perfect mother, the perfect wife, and the perfect server to humanity. And um, I always thought that that kind of prescription list was very unique to toxic patriarchies. And I kind of idolized the West, and I thought the Western woman, surely she won't be plagued by these indoctrinations. Mm -hmm. So then when I came to the West in my early 20s, I was really shocked to see that even the Western woman, although not so brutally or blatantly is oppressed, she too suffers from these fears of not being good enough, of not stepping up to her greatest power, of being disconnected from her inner knowing. It really did shock me. I had this utopic mm. fantasy that only women in India mm. face this kind of a trajectory, but I then and then through my practice, I'm a clinical psychologist, so I see this rampantly. Really, everybody is disconnected from their true authentic self, but most especially women. So this book really is an homage to all of us women uh, and to our lost selves and is an ode to our greatest authenticity. It is a wake-up call. It's a plea. It's a pathway to the redemption of her lost self mm. and a reclamation of that. So in your practice, you talk about integrating Western psychology and Eastern philosophy. But when you say that there are a lot of similarities that you see everywhere, um, especially with uh, oppression of women, what, what is it uh, that you find of those different, the Western psychology and Eastern philosophy, what is it that you find that you can bring together that can really help everyone? So Western psychology uh, is really based on the theory that we are here to be uh, survivors, thrivers, uh, winners, and we are here to integrate our past in a way that allows us to transcend the pain of our unconscious conditioning. So that's in a nutshell, Western philosophy and psychology that I learned or was trained in. And, and the pathway to healing the psyche in Western psychology is to do this very careful analysis of your past, see the patterns and break free. Eastern spirituality, really, and, and I uh, am not religious and I've never followed any religion, but I do practice uh, Vipassana meditation, which is a form of meditation that is supposedly the Buddha's meditation. Um, and though that practice is what I call my Eastern practice, uh, that really looks at humanity as a totality not the individual psyche. The Western psych psychologist looks at the individual psyche. The Eastern spiritualist looks at humanity as a totality mm. and sees us as a very insignificant, 
albeit pivotal part of an interconnected web of cause and effect. Mm. And Eastern spirituality really has given me the anchoring in our essential impermanence. So whenever I remember that I am part an insignificant part of an ever-changing interconnected web of cause and effect that actually takes me out of my self-preoccupation. Mm. And it reminds me that I'm part of this cosmos. I'm part of this, this interweaving that we call our planet. And I must never forget that I am part of something. I'm connected. So it reminds me to be connected to others, to have empathy, to understand life is impermanent. So the power of our present moment is the only power we have. Mm -hmm. So that's the Eastern part. And then the Western part brings me right back into the individual, right back into that individual's past and his mm -hmm. patterns. So without this beautiful dance of East and West, I would either just be all about just, you know, panning out into outer space with that perspective, or I'd be all into the individual psyche and only mm -hmm. caring about the individual. But both these together allow this complementary, beautiful uh, balance and harmony between the individual psyche, but then our insignificance as mm -hmm. an individual psyche. Hmm. I mean, that that just feels like a more wholehearted you know, full way to live. How did you yourself make this transformation in, in your own life? Well, I think from a young age, I was really very acutely passionate about what makes us suffer? Mm. What gives us joy? How can we fully actualize this one incarnation in this body that we have? We only know about this one. Mm -hmm. So how can we best potentialize it? Is money all that there is? Is fame all that people care about? Uh, or is there more? And I think I was always driven by these uh, seeking existential questions. So I began meditating at a really young age. I began studying psychology at a young age, writing, journaling. So I was one of those children, you know, extra sensitive and attuned. Uh, because, I, and to this day, you know, somebody asked me the other day, do I ever get tired of what I do, which is help people or counsel people? And I said, I can never get tired of serving and helping humanity because it feeds me. It gives me a sense of direction. It gives me a sense of greater insight. It allows me to understand who we are. So helping people helps me Mm. understand this enigma called the human psyche. In your book, you say, when we allow toxicity to exist for the sake of peace, we are actually perpetuating war. There is no real peace where there is no authenticity. And so you, know, you speak a lot about discovering and embracing and honoring our authentic selves. What is it that we can do to uncondition ourselves from these beliefs that, we've, that have long served us? Oh my God, thank you for asking that. Yeah, that's a powerful statement, you know, that when we allow ourselves to be inauthentic, we are actually waging a war against ourselves. You know, we don't see how self-loathing we are. We don't see how self-critical we are, how self-shaming. We allow these acts of oppression to continue within our psyche and nobody is stopping it, right? And this is what this book is trying to do for us as a humanity. Hey, notice how 
you are mired in these self-shaming practices and how you are oppressing yourself, especially if you're a woman. So to your question, how do we stop, right? So in order to stop anything, first, we have to be aware that we are engaged in it, Mm -hmm. right? Just like changing our diet. There's no point just fixing it on the outside. We have to go to the root cause of why we began in this toxic pattern of of overeating in the first place. So the first place to begin is to understand our childhood conditioning. Where did our patterns come from? Where did our belief systems come from? And most of us growing up in this cultural bubble, in this cultural matrix, indoctrinated ourselves with extremely toxic lies from culture. We have been told lies about success. Mm. We've been told lies about happiness about love, about marriage, about children, about youth, about beauty, about niceness, about what makes us whole. We've been told lies. And and most of these lies are anchored in one place only, in utter and uh, depraved egoic greed. So let me explain what that means. Because our inner children, our children when we were young, the people we used to be, were left hungry for intrinsic love and worth, we began to forage for these crumbs Mm. of validation, of approval, of praise from the external world. We were told that if you get good grades, you are a good girl. If you're a good girl, you'll be loved. We were told if you're really successful, you'd be loved. If you're skinny or beautiful in a particular standard, you'll be loved and so on and so forth. So these lies were based on the hunger of the the child. The child was taught to be hungry and then it was taught to fill the hunger through these lies. And then we're 50 and then we're 60. And at some point we may have a rude awakening that, hey, was I just sold a bag of tricks? Was I just told a whole list of lies that there would be happiness at the end of the rainbow? And really there's only more greed, more hunger, more unworthiness. So that is when we may wake up. Mm -hmm. And it's a rude awakening. It's hard for us, especially women. You know, women have been told, be good, be quiet, be nice, and you will be happy. And Mm -hmm. we realize soon enough, that those are the very things that actually make us the most miserable, mm-hmm. you know, but now we don't know how to change out of it. We are kind of stuck. From the very first page, it feels like, you know, there's fair warning and there's also um, like, hey, this is going to be hard. It's not an easy read. And you feel that, you know, from the second page, um, but it's such a necessary read. Why do you think it is that women have s- such a harder time with this or that, women get the brunt of just the way society and culture is set up in the modern world? I think there are two reasons. One is a biological, natural reason. Our very biology is the one who bears the child, right? Just Mm. symbolically, even if we choose not to mother, our body's kind of made up to be the house, to be the container, to, you know, our breasts know when to lactate. Our body is on this menstrual clock, which is really in the service of pregnancy. So in a way, our body is designed to kind of be the nurturer, right? Whether we execute that or not is not 
the point. Mm -hmm. It's just that we are designed for that. And I think that comes with a certain psyche. It comes with a certain uh, emotional vulnerability. It comes with the DNA that we need to acknowledge. And then the second part is culture, at least in the modern era, has pivoted the needle more towards toxic patriarchy. Now, if it was a benevolent patriarchy with an equal emphasis on a matriarchy, we would be quite okay. But because the world is based on that egoic dominance and greed I just talked about, it's based on mm -hmm. hunger, it's based on consumption, it is very masculine in its mm. acquisition. So I'm not disempowering men in any way. I'm talking about masculinity, which is an aspect of the masculine-feminine continuum. Women could have it, men could have it, it doesn't matter. And toxic masculinity is excessive dominance, excessive uh, invasion, excessive acquisition. So right now in the modern world, we are living in a toxic masculinity. Men get upset and they think I'm talking about them. I'm not talking about them. Women could be toxically masculine. It doesn't matter. So in that toxic masculinity, the qualities that are inherent in a woman, her more feminine qualities, are denied, are denigrated. And she's taught to fit in. And it goes against her being. So the only way she knows how to fit in is to just be quiet, is to just shut up because she can't ever compete in a toxic masculine way. So the girl gets a message early on that she is also an object for consumption. She's also here to pleasure the toxic masculinity of the modern era. So she's told she's a cog, she's, she's just one little piece of the wheel. She's not the entire wheel. So the combination of those two leads to a complete loss of self. Yeah, it's like there's like a false dichotomy of like, oh, you're loving and nurturing. So you should always, you should also be quiet and just, you know, be nice and just please everyone. Mm. Right. And we want to be pleasing. That is part of us. We love to be lovely, but not in a toxic masculine culture mm -hmm. because a toxic masculine culture doesn't value our loving nature. It it marauds us. It takes advantage and manipulates us so that we serve it. I like that you clarified as well too that a toxic masculine culture is not saying bad to all men. It's something that is, uh, uh, that masculinity can be in women or in men. What is something that you feel um, myself or other men can take away from reading your book that, that's sort of helping us have that radical awakening ourselves? Oh, I love your question. So you're so right. I just want to address what you first said. Men are equally prey to the toxic masculinity. You are chasing toxic masculinity too because you think that's the way to be, not you personally, but the male in the culture also has the pressure and the oppression under this toxic masculinity, right? They think they need to be the most successful, the most competitive, number one in the line, be the loudest, be the most providing. So they have a lot of pressure under this toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity really manipulates both males and females to its advantage and preys on both. So in terms of what men can take away from this book is really a greater empathy, I think, for what 
women's experience in the modern era is, how the woman is battling these ideas that she needs to be perfect. She needs to be the perfect mother. She needs to be sexy, but not too sexy. She needs to be skinny, but not too skinny. She needs to be successful, but be the best mother at the same time. And she is kind of negotiating way more than a man would do on any given day right? Not just in terms of physical safety. I mean, women know what we have to go through just to take a cab at night. You know, we mm -hmm. go through more loopholes in our head and, and uh, more somersaults just to be safe. Mm -hmm. Besides our physical safety, we also have a great deal of psychological unsafety that we need men to corral around and help us with. You know, we, we need more empathy. We need to be told more by you that you love our wrinkles, that you love our cellulite, that you love our sagging boobs, and that you're not caught up by the young and the flawless, that you see value in our wisdom, that you see value in our gray hair. And I'm not putting the onus on you because... Ultimately, women have to love themselves and we have to give ourselves permission to age and be imperfect. But men could help, okay? Mm -hmm. You could help by standing up for us when you see some man talk over us. You could begin to be better listeners. You know, mm -hmm. men traditionally are terrible listeners. Traditionally, you know, uh, stereotypically. You could learn to ask us how we feel and really care about our essence and not so much about whether we are making you happy or looking beautiful. We are no longer wanting to be trophies. You know, we're mm -hmm. yearning for deeper mm -hmm. significance. And we would love our brothers to help us. 100%. Everything you answer <laughs> opens up another 50 questions that, that I have. But I, I think there's so much that you just said there um, that I, I think any of our listeners who are men... It's really, I actually think all three of the books uh, of your books that I mentioned earlier, I think is so important for everyone to read, especially if people are wanting uh, families and wanting to raise kids too. Um, but can you do me a favor? You have said this earlier on, but can you clearly define what authentic self means? Sure. So I'll just take you down a little psychological road trip. Yay. When we were born, <laughs> and this is just my way of looking at childhood, we children lost connection with our authentic self. We don't even know who we could have been because we have been so overly produced, so overly curated, so overly constructed by culture and our parents. We have no idea who we are mm. now. We are walking around with these egoic masks and eventually in life with enough trauma, these masks will begin to fall off. And relationships are a great place where these masks typically fall off. And instead of looking at these as failures, we need to look at them as the failure of the mask. Ah, the reason I'm in pain right now is not because of the pain, it's because my egoic mask is shattering mm. and my true self is wanting to come out. But instead of looking at it that way, we look at life just the way culture told us to, which is to suffer and to feel the pain as a failure instead of as the shedding of the mask. Mm. So what is the authentic self? The authentic self is the self that is buried under the layer of cultural conditioning. Your true self is waiting for you. Your authenticity is right there, buried under layers of bullshit. <laughs> and our, our goal in life 
is just to unlayer and unpeel these false layers of ego greed, ego dominance, ego hunger, mm. ego consumption. These are all the lies that we've been told. It's like a big callus that is just built up over time. File it away. Gotta go yes. to the spawn. I gotta trim that thing off. Or a take, a bit. Sand take a sandblaster to it. Blaster <laughs> to it. Yeah. So, is this part of the inner work that you talk about? to get there. Exactly, exactly. And it's so worth it because let me tell you, people think that inner work is arduous or going to a therapist is so much of uh, a detour from their normal busy lives. And I can guarantee you that whether you are conscious of it or not, your ego is chipping away. Now you can do it kicking or screaming as you probably are, but just not aware of it and keep attracting dysfunction in your life, or you can do it consciously by seeking guidance of a therapist or a coach or a book like mine, and do it with willful, voluntary intention. But I always tell people, whether they like it or not, they are subconsciously chipping away at that ego. Whether they like it or not, they are subconsciously always manifesting their purpose. Mm -hmm. the, the, the awakening occurs when you choose to do this consciously so that life isn't, you know, the cliche happening to you. Mm -hmm. You are the co-creator of your life. Do you find even when you are, you know, you're embracing that you're the co-creator of your life, but do you find that journey, um, that inner work, um, it is a rocky path that you, it, it will come with doubting yourself. It'll come with moments of frustration where you think it's the wrong thing you're doing and it's, it's hurting relationships. What is that journey like and what should you expect if you're trying to do that inner work? Yeah, <laughs> to the point. I always say that uh, all self-growth courses that I give should come with a statutory warning label <laughs> that you will go through hell. Oh. You, know? <laughs> you, you will break up, you will leave your old relationships and you will curse me, you know? <laughs> this is part of the unpeeling process, right? Everyone wants to change, but no one wants to do the, mm. the, the sacrifice to change, right? No one right. understands that to change means to let go, to release, to die onto your old self. Now, if I told people, do you want to die? Mm. They would leave my therapy session in two seconds. <laughs> yeah. So I don't say that. I just go, do you want to change? So they say, so they say yes, I want to change. But in my head, I go... No, die. you don't. Okay, you have to die first. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have to die. So slowly I teach them that they have to die to what? Die to all their false ways of being, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not that they're physically dying, but they are dying to that ego, dying mm -hmm. to that fear, dying to that enmeshment, codependency, toxicity, dysfunctionality. That's what's dying. And as they die to that, then they become more liberated. Mm -hmm. But I call the first phase... Uh, no man's land or no woman's land, because once you leave the old, mm -hmm. you are in the tunnel of birth. You're like, where am I? <laughs> Who am I? I thought I was X, Y, and Z, but obviously I'm not. So you're going to go through this tunnel, just mm -hmm. like this pandemic has been a tunnel. And it is freaking terrifying. And you will kick and scream, and you will probably sabotage like we do on every diet mm -hmm. because we're terrified to meet our new selves and we will go backwards. This too is part of the evolution. Regression is part of the evolution. You know, spiritual evolution is not a straight line. It's not linear. It's not clean and neat and tidy. And where you go get to the top of the hill and you're like, ta-da, <laughs> there's no such thing. There's no, I've been doing this for, I, I'm embarrassed to say how many years and it, 
I literally must be in elementary school of the spiritual college, really. Mm. So it's an endless path and we should never look at it in terms of the destination. We should simply ask ourselves, am I living right now more in alignment with who I know myself to be or not? I mean, that's mm. the best yeah. we can do on any given day. If, if you're in elementary school on the spiritual journey, where does that leave us, Linda? I think <laughs> We're still- I, I have like one foot out of the tunnel. I I'm I'm not even like a a fetus. <laughs> no, I, there are days that literally I, I shouldn't have even come out of the womb. Really, yeah. 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 <laughs> ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. I say this to remind people that there is no hierarchy in mm. this. You know, the the most wise people are the ones who understand that they needn't have an ego about being evolved. And the most wise people are the ones who say all the time, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. You know, though that's wisdom to know that you don't know. It is the ego that believes in false belief systems because it cannot sit with the discomfort of not knowing. A few minutes ago, you mentioned that unconsciously, whether we want to or not, we're slowly chipping away at our ego. Um, you know, as we're going through the, these steps in this journey, on the flip side, I'm wondering what are things that we also do in our daily lives that strengthen our ego unconsciously? Um, may it be bad great. habits or, or whatever? Oh my God, great question. Mm-hmm. So for the most, this is an amazing duality, right? For the most part in our day-to-day lives, we are mostly only strengthening the ego, okay? So we put the mascara or the fake lashes and we put the Botox or we, you know, go get the PhD and we go on the treadmill, right? I'm just being silly, (laughs) but we do all these things, right? That we call day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. But in most of these choices, we kind of are doing it to look better, to fulfill our our ego's desire to be seen, to get validity, to get significance in the in the eyes of others. Whether we like to admit it or not, our entire day-to-day life, for the most part, is geared toward looking a certain way mm-hmm. for the external world. And that's why COVID was so amazing, because suddenly we were stripped away from the external world and we're like, okay, then I'm never wearing makeup, mm-hmm. I'm never wearing a bra, <laughs> and I'm going to get really fat, right? We gave ourselves permission and our partners looked at us in horror, but we were looking at them in horror too, because they made the same decision. But what it showed me as a therapist is, wow, we're finally giving ourselves permission to be authentic, Mm -hmm. to be raw, to let our hair become gray. Half of our life, at least, is a disguise. So on a day-to-day basis, we're doing tons of things. When we tell our children to, to learn three languages and to stand upside down and to walk backwards and to sing a song and we post it on Facebook, all that is for the parent's ego. All of it. Mm -hmm. When we buy six-inch heels that we are horrifically uncomfortable in but pretend we're not, 
when we when we are constantly showing off to the external world all of that is ego 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 now why do i say that no matter how we try to to bolster the ego it won't last i'll tell you why because the egoic self that self that i just described that's constantly filling itself injecting itself with steroids that self is dependent on the external world so if the external world says i love you it's happy mm-hmm. if the external world says you lost weight ah happy if the external world says wow you have a raise and you're going to be on tv oh super happy but the minute the external world doesn't then that ego begins to crack the good thing about life is that it sends us more unpleasant experiences or at least we remember the unpleasant experiences mm. more and that causes the ego shell to crack Mm. with enough life experience and enough memory of unpleasant experiences we will crack that ego because that ego cannot last because it is dependent on the vagrancies of other people's opinion mm. Mm. other people's worth so it's up one day down one day up one day down one day well under so much constant cacophony that shell breaks mm-hmm. and one day we we reach a place that i call in the book rock bottom right the relationship breaks or we lose our job or we have a terminal illness or we lose a child or whatever that moment becomes rock bottom and what that means is finally the disguises of the ego are not going to get us through this pain mm-hmm. this time we have to confront the pain till now we could get away with the botox and the running away and the achievements but this pain this pain requires truth and reconciliation mm. So uh, you brought up something that I think is an interesting uh, way to to look at this. So when you think of achieving certain goals in life or if you know people are going to get further education to do a certain job, there are different reasons that people will do these things, but how can you explain to people that are to understand that we're not saying you can't get out there and achieve things. We're not saying you can't um, make yourself feel better and have the physique that you want or the healthy habits that you want. Where's a balance between doing these things that could be external influence, um, but also still have your authentic self? Absolutely. It it all starts with an awareness of what is the anchoring principle. Is the anchoring mm. principle my sense of empowerment, alignment, ease, self-love? Or is my anchoring principle hunger to be on a treadmill in the rat race of what culture tells me I need to run toward? It's very clear when you meet people, at least it's very clear to me, you know, I can tell where they are coming from, what is their anchoring principle. And if the anchor is a void that you're seeking to fill, you will be on this hunt on this chase in the hustle constantly looking for things and it will never be enough mm-hmm. when you're coming from a grounded anchor of inner worth and endless inner replenishment you don't have this thirst Mm. If you get it, you get it. If you don't exercise today, you're not going to die. Mm. Yeah, and it is so hard to recognize that in yourself when you don't take a moment to even question it. You wrote early on in your book, eventually you don't even know if your roles that you play are you. Like what are you really? Are you all the roles that you play or like are you the identity underneath it all? Exactly. I mean, I can't tell you how many men and women in their 50s and 60s I meet that tell me gosh 
you know, I've done the whole prescription list. I did what my parents told me to do or what I thought was the responsible thing mm -hmm. to do. But in it, I completely lost my own sense of self. Women, it's even easier to do that because we literally have to take care of many, many people who need us all the time. So it's so easy for us to lose ourselves. And that's why honoring the self, living in the present moment, not allowing the doing to identify your essence is so important. And Drew, you were asking, you know, how do we not get into this unhealthy pattern? And the way to do it is you can still exercise, but don't make that healthy physique the goal of your existence or the measure or the metric of your worth, mm. right? right? Sure, exercise. But when to do things with this man, manic compulsion, with this mania, we have to then stop and question, okay, now is this for health? Mm. Or am I doing this because I believe I will be more recognized, mm. more valid, more worthy? Right, right, right. And, and, you know, actually, that's one of the things that's such a great reminder for me because I, I'm a very driven person, but sometimes I have so many things that I'm juggling and stepping back and actually looking at what the reasoning is for some of these, you realize it is ego. And so then to realize, and you know, we've, we've talked with uh, uh, Greg McEwen about what's essential in life and, and trying to make things effortless too. And, and to sit back and understand just like what you're saying, where this is something maybe that's not as important as what I'm putting on it. And it doesn't define who I am. I've had to really learn and, and reading your book too is such a huge help to slow down and sit in my thoughts and actually take that time to understand um, what's important uh, and, and what's really me, what's not a shell. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about that, the importance of slowing down? So ever since we were young, we were trained to be relentless in our pursuit of the future. Our entire childhood, and we can see this when we become parents, is we're constantly getting our kids to the future. They get up in the morning, we tell them what their schedule is like, and then we talk about tomorrow, and then we're worried about college, and then which career they'll enter. We rarely stay in the present. It's like we are all infected with this drug called the future drug. And what that does to us on a very fundamental level is it disconnects us from ourselves, our present, and the people around us, and nature, because we are living in our ideas about the future. You see, the future is not yet here. So the only way to live in the future is in our ideas about the future. The minute you go into your head, into the intellect, you disconnect from your body, from your soul, mm -hmm. from your heart, whatever you want to call it. And this is the plague of humanity. If you look at us today as a global species, we are all disconnected from the here and now, and we're living in the future in our mental ideations about it and literally destroying everything in the moment. So Eastern spirituality really teaches the power of presence and the power of emptying yourself of the future and the past 
and really grounding yourself in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And that's what all my books on parenting are about, using our children as the gateway to enter the present moment, Mm -hmm. using our children as the awakeners to remind us that the only place to live is the present moment. Children are always in the present moment, which is Mm -hmm. why we find them annoying, difficult, (laughs) disorganized, and frustrating because we want them to live in the future, right? Mm -hmm. When we see them untidy in the moment, our ideas tell us, oh my goodness, my kid is going to be a loser in the future. (laughs) Then we get angry and we don't let them enjoy the present moment because we are in the future. So this is why we have to antidote our manic obsession with the future because that Mm -hmm. is living in anxiety, living in scarcity, living in lack. I always tell myself, When I'm getting anxious, I know now that when my alarm bells go off in my body, I immediately ask myself, where am I? Which time zone are you in, Shefali? Mm -hmm. And I'll always be in the time zone of the future. There's something about the future that I'm worried about, and I need to make it happen in the present, and I don't know how. That's Mm -hmm. what causes anxiety. Mm. And when I release that and I go, okay, you're here now. You can only do what you can do in the now. And you have no idea about what the future will bring. Then I immediately have peace and calm. And if there's one thing COVID has taught me, not that you're asking, but I'm going to tell you, Mm -hmm. is this lesson that there is no future. I mean, all of us had to cancel 2020 and possibly half of 2021, if not Mm -hmm. more. So we know now through life's experience how foolish and ignorant it is to plan the future. You know, and the the most powerful lesson of COVID to me is to teach people to strip away from the non-essentials of life, to enter the raw and the transparent and the authentic, and to live in the present moment. There's a lot there for me to still learn. It sounds so simple. It does sound simple. (laughs) I am one of those people that really plan a lot for future. I have my short, mid, and long-term goals, and I think the way you... The way you say what you're saying there, it, it does show me that there's still a lot of that that I can achieve and go after. But if I really embrace where I am right now, I'll actually, one, enjoy myself and the journey a lot more. But also, two, I think it'll strengthen a lot of the relationships that I have. Um, let, which, let, let me just let me just tie something together for you, because you just said something so important for men. So you're, you have... What did you say? Short, midterm, and long-term goals, mm-hmm. right? That is masculinity. That's a beautiful masculinity. Nothing toxic about it. Mm. It becomes toxic when it divests itself from the present moment. So if it is just based on that, and then you become killer shock mentality to achieve that, Mm. now it's got a hold on you and now it becomes toxic. But that goal-oriented linear quality of you is your masculine nature. Nothing wrong with it. But you have to to know that about you. Hey, I tend to be really masculine. Mm. How can I temper, balance, harmonize that with the feminine? Now, the feminine is the present, Mm -hmm. is here and now, is open, expansive. You know, I always say to my people, my team around me, the reason I don't make too many goals is because I personally love to be surprised. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to know before I need to know. I want to know when I get there. I want to be in the unknown. Now, living in the unknown is a feminine principle. Mm -hmm. You know, we are okay living in the chaos of our menstrual blood and our dripping breasts and our children all around us. You know, this is our our ecological, biological nature. We are more comfortable with our mess. 
We're comfortable with the unknown, more so than men. So this is where both of us need each other. The masculine and the feminine need to harmonize more. So if men who are very masculine like you, linear, hierarchical, future, you know, you have a trajectory Mm -hmm. that's very masculine energy, you can really do yourself a favor by dropping some of that charge and really embracing the feminine. And for us women, we could perhaps embrace more masculinity, not in terms of goals necessarily, but the way the one place I see women not being masculine enough is in our boundary setting. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're not compartmentalized creatures, we are connected creatures. So we don't know how to have boundaries. We feel everyone's pain. We can't just say no and move on. Uh, you're dead and gone. No, that we, we don't work like that. So that, but sometimes to our peril, we stay too long in relationships. We say yes when we should have said no. Mm-hmm. We linger on. We stay quiet when we should have risen up in aggression. We're so scared of being assertive. And that's where we need to learn from men how to be more masculine. Wow. <laughs> I, I, oh, jeez. I, I really like, oh, she's knocking over her bottles. You've got Linda all flustered. <laughs> um, she's taking charge. She <laughs> is. I, I, do, I do really love... Um, how you're defining that too, because I, I, I think I probably did have in the back of my mind the thought, well, I am very driven, um, but is that does that mean I'm toxic? And I, I, I thank you for clarifying that. I, this has been a very beautiful awakening conversation uh, for me, for both of us, I'm sure. Yeah. A lot of... And I, I just love the, the way you speak about masculine and feminine living in harmony and how we all of us can learn from from both sides of it. And it's part of one continuum and it's not either or. Absolutely. To live in the moment, in the present moment right now, we have an activity we call our speed round. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? Oh, I think so, Don. I, I, I typically, I'm never prepared for these uh, quick fire rounds and I always tell myself not to be surprised when they come, but here I am, I'm surprised. But, but surprises are good. <laughs> surprises are good. What smell reminds you of home? Oh my goodness, so many because Indian cooking is so mm. aromatic. I would say uh, the smell of the Indian spices I grew up around. Mm. What's your perfect Sunday morning at home? Where I allow myself to truly just follow what my body's rhythm wants to uh, manifest and not impose something upon the day. Mm. What's your, and this can be childhood or this can be present, what's your most vivid memory of home? I grew up by the ocean in India and, uh, you know, the streets of India are typically very crowded. So for me, the ocean was always my refuge and I've typically always lived 10 minutes away from the ocean um, because I've always chased that sense of refuge that I got when I was young. What is your proudest moment? You know, I, 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 I this is, I'm such a Debbie Downer, but I really stay away from pride. Uh, Mm. But let let me just go with your question and be a sport. Um, My proudest moment, I think, would be that I have finally allowed myself to not care about what people think, finally. Mm. How would would you reward that? Yeah, because I actually quite like to stay away from pride. I like how you you said that. So how would you rephrase that question so it's not a pride thing? Um, what is your greatest growth or your, mm. your greatest, uh, evolution, 
what is your greatest uh, growth curve? Or, you know, I, I always like to speak in terms of growth. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's but but no, I, I, I get that question a lot. So. No, but well, I, we but I like this. To... This is a growth thing for us yeah. to really think about that because we, I, I agree with you um, to stay away from pride. So who is someone that you've seen that you feel has radically awakened? Well, my teacher in this uh, dimension is Eckhart Tolle. And uh, to me, he is one of the wisest people I have had the privilege of interacting with. And he's written a quote from my book. He's a dear person in my life. And I think I see him as radically awakened because he doesn't buy into the cultural noise and madness like most of us do. And I really admire people who've broken free from culture. Well, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us. It's it's honestly, I think we're going to have to have regular get-togethers because we we also we wanted to dig into parenting because we want to have children soon. And there's so many other aspects, but there's only so much time. Yeah. But uh, maybe in the well, future. You, you both are delightful. And yes, so I'm here for you. I'm, I'm always a phone call away. <laughs> thank you so much thank for you. your time. Thank you for having me. All right, so there's one thing we all have to do. Get the book. Even though we already have copies, we're going to get more. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be uh, a lot of people's birthdays and Christmas gifts. You should also check out her courses. Um, Anna Lee is doing one right now. And after every course, she kind of fills us in. And it's all mind-blowing. We're learning from the courses by proxy. Yeah. And I love it. It's great. Yeah, we are. And we, we need to take time to do it ourselves as well. Um, I'm actually looking forward to it when we have some time off in August. Yes, that's going to be really good. Are you are you up for that? Yeah, definitely. That'd be great to have your sister join us too. Mm-hmm. Um, well, everybody as well, check out Dr. Shafali's Instagram. She has daily doses of wisdom to share. And a huge thank you to our homies, Brandon Angelino. Annalie Bell. Hannah Fan, Courtney Iwanis. West Friend. Chris Cobain. Jessica Bryant-Harvey. And Nicole Schachter. Our theme music for At Home is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson. And music is composed and produced by Rick Russo. Thank you so much for listening. And if you do enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate us. Always rate us. We love you rating and commenting. Yeah, we actually like your feedback. And to you, thank you. Thank you. Love you. Love you. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT is awesome and believes that the smarter the home, the safer the security. I can't wait to see what they do next. They're going to put Google Nest doorbells on the moon. (laughs) Actually, I'd like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with our Google Nest doorbell. I do love how when we're out at dinner, we can see exactly what's going on at the front door. And we can control our ADT smart devices like... Lights, locks, the security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. Mm-hmm. All you have to say is, hey, Google, to get started. Well, I think it's great for people to help protect what matters most with all of this. Plus, 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Hey, Google. <laughs>